Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. We're going to talk today a little bit about some more SBC stuff. I think there's going to be a lot of that um, as we approach the convention, which I believe is next week now. So um, it's going to, it's just, <laughs> it, it, it seems like it's falling apart before the convention's even started. It's just uh, all kinds of accusations and insinuations, and it's like uh, musical chairs, people switching sides. And I'm going to show you just a little bit of that. Um, I can't even possibly put all of that into a slideshow because of how much it's happening. It's just happening in real time. But um, I just have a few comments I want to make about some of this, and uh, hopefully it'll be helpful, especially if you're a messenger. But um, I got some few non-SBC things to share as well. Um, we'll. We'll have more later in the week. I do know that um, crew is another topic that I probably should talk about at some point. So. Uh, people have reached out to me about that. I, I know that there was an article in Christianity Today. I know that um, there's some concerns about uh, one specific segment of crew, the Lenses Institute, and I've talked about them before, um, but uh, there's some renewed concerns that maybe I'll talk about at some point. But right now, um, because I think of the timing of the convention, the SBC is kind of like a, a big thing. Uh, that's obviously not everything I talk about at all, but um, it's uh, kind of a bellwether for Christianity and evangelicalism in the United States. They're the largest Protestant denomination, and they got some decisions to make next week. So um, I do think it is important at least to talk about it a little bit. Um, but I uh, wanted to mention a few things uh, before we get to all that. Um, before we do, I want to mention this. Uh, this was uh, vo this is Voice Magazine, which is the um, it, it's a publication. Let's see if I can get you to see that closer here. Here, there. Is that the best? I don't know. I, yeah, voice. Um, you can see it says critical race theory, justice, and the Bible. Uh, the bottom says identity politics, critical race theory, social justice movement. This is their May, June 2021 issue, and someone just sent it to me. Because uh, there's actually an article in here that quotes um, Social Justice Goes to Church, the book uh, that I wrote about the history of the social justice movement in evangelicalism quite a bit. Um, a lot of good stuff in here. Uh, and I, I just wanted to plug this. I, you know, the IFCA may not line up with everyone's theology. Uh, it used to, I think, be called Independent Fundamental Churches of America. Um, now I think it's just called IFCA International. So um, it's beyond America. But it, it may line up with a lot of people who do listen to this podcast. It may line up with your theology. And I just want to recommend them um, as an association to look into. They're technically not a denomination. They don't fashion themselves that way, but they do have uh, magazines, publications like this. Uh, they have conventions every year. I don't even know what all they have. I know they have a bunch of stuff, fellowship, uh, fellowships in states and regions, and uh, some cooperation for ministry uh, endeavors, etc. cetera. So um, may want to look into it. We talked about uh, last week the Discerning Christians website. And that is one tool. That's one resource in your arsenal. If you're a pastor, you may want to go on that and just sign up, put your church on there. Uh, if you have an open position, put your open position down there. Um, put yourself on the map. Let people know where you are so that you can coordinate. Even if you don't have a church that's like-minded near you, maybe you can start one, and that will help you identify people. So we're, we're in just kind of the, the infancy of discerning Christians. There's going to be a lot more to come with that. Um, but I'm just offering and asking people who are interested to just get on the ground floor. But the IFCA is just another organization that I would uh, recommend looking into if you are a church, uh, if you're a pastor or someone, an elder at a church, 
you, you may want to fellowship with them. They're actually taking a stand against this. And uh, there's, there's not too many organizations that I would say are actually taking a stand, or at least not an adequate stand. If they are, some, sometimes, and I'm going to show this today, it's kind of like popular now. Uh, it's becoming more popular to say you're against critical race theory, but then you listen to the critique and it's usually inadequate. Uh, it's usually something along the lines of, well, you know, it's got a Marxist um, foundation of some kind, an atheist foundation. We reject that. But they don't reject the, you know, idea that racism is normative or uh, that there's these power relationships and social um, uh, relationships can be reduced to them in some way. Um, they don't um, they don't go against the standpoint epistemology, uh, the memory studies, revisionism, all, you know, all the all the stuff we've talked about that's associated with critical race theory. They'll still import all of it, except they'll just reject the foundation for it and want to build it on a Christian foundation or something. So you got to be aware of that. Not everyone who says they're against critical race theory actually is. And uh, uh, I went through this. It looks like the IFCA, though, actually is. And so I uh, commend you looking into the IFCA. Not a lot of organizations I can recommend. Uh, not a lot of... Um, schools and parachurches and seminaries I can recommend, uh, but, uh, but this is one of the, the, the few that I would say look into it. Um, and it, it may fit what you're looking for, it may not, but I um, figured I'd at least say that. Uh, I wanted to mention a few more things as well. Oh yeah, recommendation for you guys. I was, uh, over the weekend I watched, it's an older, well, older now, it wasn't when I was young, but a Disney movie called Tall Tale from 1995. And I forgot how much I liked that movie uh, when I was young, and um, I just thought this is a this is the kind of movie that I wish Hollywood and Disney were interested in making today. I think I called it the most paleo conservative movie Disney's ever put out there. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I in my recollection it is, but um, I'm probably overlooking something. But uh, you know, it's, it's it's a movie that I say you could probably show your kids, and it would instill some of the character traits that you'd want. Um, very anti anti modernity, anti um, and anti people, uh, like in this case, the villains kind of, I don't want to give away the whole thing, but like a big kind of tycoon, corrupt businessman, uh, kind of person and, uh, coming in to try to basically turn this beautiful Valley called paradise Valley into a, uh, a horrible basically place for industry, for mining and all these kinds of things, which, um, those things aren't bad, but the the point of the movie, and it comes out, is that, you know, because they have Paul Bunyan's one of the characters, that uh, taking from the land, borrowing from the land is different than just stripping the land. And um, and there used to be a sense of that in conservatism, in paleoconservatism. And uh, sometimes it's called conservation. I mean, that's in the, the term conservatism, but it, it's it's so much more than that. It's it's pretty much, it's, it's uh, land and people, um, legend principles, uh, you know, hard work and labor, craft, all these kinds of things kind of lined up against this mechanistic, um, th this sort of goal of just everything being, having a dollar sign on it and producing a profit. And anyway, I like the movie a lot and uh, it is probably more for kids, but just a recommendation uh, for all you parents out there that can't find things for your kids to watch. Uh, this is one that I think uh, would probably be pretty good for the most part. So just wanted to throw that out there um, as a recommendation. I wanted to read for you a Facebook uh, post that um, I wrote this morning. I, I had watched a video um, of, it, it was an interview. It was Mark Zuckerberg and some Facebook people doing 
I don't think it was meant to be public. I'm not sure, but it was it was kind of a meeting that they had on Zoom, and it says, um, and it, and it. Well, I'll just read for you what I wrote. Facebook is reacting to the Project Veritas leaks by claiming that they have a zero tolerance policy towards leakers because they want a free and open environment at Facebook. They also claim that leakers don't have the proper information necessary to make the call to tell whether or not Facebook's policies are dangerous to people. This is literally in the face of exposing their policy to suppress information concerning the vaccine. That, and I kid you not, may be true. So Project Veritas was the one that published this exchange, but Facebook's spokesperson, one of them, is trying to go out there and claim that Facebook has a zero policy, um, zero tolerance policy because they want a free and open environment. It, only, it, it sounds like there's a lot of tension between those two things, free and open environment, and we just don't want anyone sharing anything about what we're doing. Um, and that and kind of demeaning people, they, they don't have the information to make the call uh, to, uh, to, you know, expose Facebook's dangerous policies because they're not in a, in a place where they know whether they're dangerous or not. That's up for us to decide. So there's a, there's a lot of elitism in this. Um, and uh, they even admit in the policy that the information, some of it about the vaccine may be true, but they'll still suppress it, even if it may be true, because they want to still encourage people to take the vaccine, even if there's information that may be true that uh, shows that it's not good for some people. Um, and if this all seems like one big contradiction, secrecy means openness and respect means elitist condescension, you'd be right. The same 1984 dystopian attitude is shared by Christian parachurch ministries as well, like the Southern Baptist Convention. And only someone who strongly values, vocalizes, and has a plan to bring back transparency should even be remotely considered as president. No more 1984 control levels. Value the truth. Jesus did. And I realize I'm not giving an example in this. I've given many more in other podcasts of that kind of thinking, but that this, when I was looking at this, I, I was I had that thought. I said, what's happening at Facebook is exactly the kind of the thing that's happening in even parachurches now. It's like everywhere, this kind of elitist condescension, um, trying to stamp out any kind of person that would be a whistleblower and um, or wine and dine them so they don't you know tell the truth. Uh, it, it just makes for an environment where you're surrounded by a bunch of jackals. It's people that are corrupt on some level. Uh, and an honest person is going to be flushed from that kind of a system. And that's not where you want to be, especially in a ministry. But this is what we keep seeing over and over. It's the honest people that get punished when they come forward after usually trying to go through um, uh, filing a complaint through the proper channels, etc. So... Um, that is my opinion. Uh, and I would encourage people who are going to go and be a messenger. I know there's there's kind of a rah, rah, rah thing for certain candidates um, that are popular for whatever reason. Um, Moeller might, you know, he's very popular. Uh, he's got a seminary. He's got books. He's got, I mean, he's been platformed. There, there's a lot of branding going on. But I would encourage people, forget about the branding. Don't look at the branding. Look at the platform the candidate has. And if you don't know the platform, if you can't find one, that should be a red flag. There, you, what does the candidate stand for? And not just that, what are they going to do? Specifics. What do they say they will do? Uh, and it, that should be something that would become obvious with any interview you see with a candidate. What is their plan? And anti-corruption needs to be part of it somewhere. 
Uh, I'm convinced of that. Actually, I'm convinced now that the corruption is actually what made room for critical race theory and the Me Too movement and all these other things. Those things are problems, but the the root or the, the, the vehicle by which those problems came into the Southern Baptists and to other groups is because there's a corruption somewhere. Uh, there's not an accountability. And that is what needs to stop. Um, there's a pragmatism too at the highest levels of some of these denominations where they think they're going to gain points with the world or they're going to um, navigate uh, some of the hate crime legislation, et cetera, by kind of meeting the woke people halfway. And, and that, that kind of thinking even just comes from a corrupt mindset. That shouldn't be the goal. The goal is to uh, tell the truth, ultimately. The truth is never an enemy. It shouldn't be. Um, but the goal is to, um, for the SBC, cooperative program, is to spread the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. Uh, and to do so in the most effective way possible. And compromising the message or watering it down or contradicting, contradicting it over here uh, by undermining you know, the authority of Scripture or something doesn't help you get that done. It just undermines everything. So corruption, character, these are the things that uh, need to be focused on. And, and whoever's running that you're going to vote for needs to have a policy on it or at least a plan of some kind that they're vocalizing, I believe. Uh, or else, what's the point? So I um, wanted to share that. I uh, also wanted to say, before I get to some of the things I was going to talk about today, um, I may not be able to do some of the uh, podcast stuff for the next few days. I'm not sure. I'm going to try my best to get some uh, podcasts out there. But there is a family friend. Um, she's kind of like a grandmotherly figure in a way to me that uh, I grew up with. And um, it, there, there's just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look good. And uh, I may have to, to travel. Um, so... Um, if you could just pray for that, I'm not giving a lot of information about it, but uh, I'm, I may be um, kind of busy the next few days. So I'm hoping I can get some stuff out there, but just wanted to let everyone know that. Um, oh, one, and one other thing I wanted to mention, I may mention this um, as we get closer to the SBC stuff, or, or um, I may, um, th- this may become obsolete, I should say. It may, it may just be of no effect or, or concern to anyone, but I, I have had a few people reach out and ask me. I even had one person today uh, when are you going to have Mike Stone on the program or have you had Mike Stone on uh, who's running? And um, the answer to that question is I have I have tried to, to I have attempted to make that contact. So I, I did um, I did let Mike Stone know a few months ago. Uh, he had called me on the phone. We had a conversation and I offered to uh, and it was a pleasant conversation. I had offered to have him on uh, the podcast at some point and, and his schedule is very busy. He didn't know when that would happen, but um, but that did take place. And then um uh, earlier last, well, maybe middle of the week last week, I did text him and I asked uh, if he wouldn't mind coming on the podcast. So that may happen. I'm not sure. Uh, he's been kind of busy lately being attacked. If you uh, have seen uh, some of the stuff coming out from Russell Moore. So I did want to at least let you all know that um, I'm not avoiding him. Or I, I do want Mike Stone to come on and I think we'd have a great uh, conversation um, and interview. So um yeah, we'll see though. Maybe he will come on and maybe, you know, uh, maybe that'll all happen. Wanted to, to share this stuff. This is more the meat of what I wanted to talk about today. Um, this just got released tonight. This is from uh, the Baptist blogger, Ben Cole, I guess, uh, published this. And it's supposed to be, I guess, a, a really controversial thing. What, what's happening right now is there's a narrative. It seems coordinated. They're trying to create a controversy over abuse. And really what it is, it is, it is a knee-jerk 
it, it, it's a fertile fallacy. It's, it's knee-jerk reaction. We must do something now. You know, there's a, there's a problem. Don't think about it. Act. Do something. And, and it's, it's to kind of create a frenzy uh, in, I think, the convention um, where people are, it, it's energizing the left. Uh, it's trying to, um, it's trying to get them ready to vote for a progressive candidate who's going to knee-jerk react to and say, well, well, we'll solve the issue of abuse or we'll solve the issue of racism or we'll whatever, fill in the blank. We'll solve this issue. We have a plan. And it's like, if you don't go along with whatever their plan is, then you must be for abuse. You must be for racism because they can't conceive there's maybe another option that's better. Uh, and maybe it's not their plan. That's really ultimately, I think, what's going on. And, and so some cures are worse than their diseases. Conservatives know this. And on most issues, conservatives end up getting called all these names because they don't go along with some progressive plan because they say, well, if we do that, you're going to create these problems. And that, that's, it's not going to solve the initial problem that you want to solve. And so let's not go with your plan. You know, we care just as much about this issue as you do, but we're in an imperfect world. Some things can't be solved. Other things can be solved better with other plans. Um, and the left can't conceive of that. They only think their plan is the plan. So it's, it's just a knee jerk, you know, uh, kind of like with healthcare it, to take one example of that. Oh my goodness. People, people uh, can't afford their healthcare. Okay. Uh, or that people are dying. People, something horrible is happening. The only solution is single payer. There's no other solution. And if you don't agree with single payer, you just want grandma to die. That's, that's kind of, that's that kind of fertile, fertile fallacy. So let me, um, just take you through a few quotes from this. This is a letter from uh, D. August, I hope I'm pronouncing it, Bato or Boto, D. August Bato, Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. And here's some of the things he said in 2019, this letter. Two nights ago in my reading, uh, the book talked, uh, he's talking about a book he read, about the effects of sample size on conclusions drawn from quantity rather than from proportionality and vice versa. In other words, Asking why it is that there is so much sex abuse among Southern Baptists is like asking why there are so many Southern Baptists in America. He makes the point that in large samples, the priority of establishing a policy or paradigm would, should match the frequency stated as a percentage of the whole rather than concentrating on anomalies along the way. So um, his whole point here is that there's a whole lot of Southern Baptists out there and so a percentage of them have undergone uh, abuse in a Southern Baptist churches. But it's if you look at them as a group, it might look pretty big. But if you look at them as a percentage of all the Southern Baptists, it's actually not that big. Uh, and, and that's one of the points I've heard other people make, where they'll say, you know, it's like 1% uh, over the whatever the Houston Chronicle thing was, 40 years or something. It's like 1%. Uh, or, or le is less than 1%, you know, um, it, it's, a, it's a small size, whatever it is. And you compare that to the general population and it, it, there really isn't a huge scandal here. But if you have such a big group of people, there's bound to be issues like this. It's unavoidable. It's, it, that's really the point he's making is that these kinds of issues are gonna be there because humans are evil and these things happen. So he says, when I got exercised um, in an ELT meeting, it was not because I don't think sexual abuse is a bad thing. Uh, I do, but I think Southern Baptists should not react by changing the denominational structure in ways that really will not change the frequency of occurrence. So he's saying, look, your cure for progressives is not going to solve the problem. We don't have a huge emergency problem here. These things are horrible. I'm against them is what he's saying. But if we change the very nature of the denomination from being a cooperation of churches to being a top-down um, 
you know, think of, of the way that our national government has been getting more consolidated. If we consolidate the SBC and make it a very top-down control kind of thing, we're not going to solve the problem. Um, and we're going to fundamentally change our organization from what it is to something else. So he's saying, look, I'm, I'm against sexual abuse, but I don't agree with this plan. He says, our record taken as a whole does not justify the sort of pr priority and the lack of efficacy of many of the things being insisted upon not only does uh, not justify their use, the insistence is for something useless. In the first place, a mirage that will not sl uh, slake thirst. If we are going to address sex abuse, it has to be done church by church and person by person rather than from central, non-authoritative, and far distant body. This is, this is a conservative talking here, I, I can tell. This is someone who's saying, I like local control, um, and it's going to be better if we approach it this from a local control kind of aspect and uh, um, view vantage point instead of from a top-down uh, con control vantage point. And he's saying you're insisting upon these things, but look, these things, this is not going to solve the problem. He also says this whole thing should be seen for what it is. It is satanic scheme. And, he, and he's talking about this fertile fallacy, this we got to change the way the SBC functions. We got to be a centralized authority. We got to have these policies uh, that uh, against um, sexual abuse so that churches have to meet a certain standard, this kind of thing. He's saying this whole thing should be seen for what it is. It is a satanic scheme to completely distract us from evangelism. So he's saying, basically, you're wasting our time with this. It is not the gospel. It is not even part of the gospel. It is a misdirection play. Yes, Krista Brown and Rachel Denhollander have succumbed to an availability um, heuristic because of their victimizations. They have gone to the SBC looking for sexual abuse, and of course, they found it. Their outcries have certainly caused an availability cascade, just like Lewis Gibbs uh, or Lois Gibbs did in the Love Canal example, but they are not to blame. This is the devil being temporarily successful. Incidentally, in my reading three nights ago, the book all, so it goes into other things. Anyway, I just want to share this with you because it's supposed to be very damning that he said these things. I guess that he's, he's downplaying sexual abuse. That's what the progressives want you to think. But he's not, that's actually not his point. He's not downplaying sexual abuse. He's downplaying the solution that they, the progressives supposedly have for sexual abuse, which is no solution at all. That's what he's saying. He's, he's arguing against their solution. And he's saying not only is it no solution, but it is wasting our time when we have other things to be concerned about. He's saying it's not that we shouldn't be concerned about this at all, but it's not in our purview. It's not our responsibility um, to come up with top-down solutions for this. This there, there's some things in life, there's some evil things that are somewhat inevitable and um, they cannot, like, I'll give you an example. Um, you're a soccer coach, right, on a soccer team. And um, you would be responsible if a child showed up with bruises or something and you're, you know, you, you suspect abuse of some kind. You would be responsible for taking that to the authorities, right? I think there's no argument there. But you would not be responsible as the soccer coach for creating some kind of a top-down structure for all the parents on your team that is supposed to monitor whether or not the parents are meeting a certain standard or there's inspections must be done or something like that, right? That would be way too controlling and it's just not in your purview as a soccer coach. Your goal is to train kids how to play soccer. That's what he's saying. He said, this is not really our function. So um, that is supposed to be the, the so damning thing, I guess, that uh, makes conservatives look like monsters. But um, you decide for yourself, does that make uh, that, does that make this particular individual, August uh, Bato, a monster? Or does that just make him a practical person who's trying to look at this from every angle? Uh, Christopher F. Ruffo, I want to just talk about this. Uh, he posted something, this is a while ago, this is on the 7th of last month, 
that the Walt Disney Corporation claims that America was founded on systemic racism, encourages employees to complete a white privilege checklist and separates minorities into racially segregated affinity groups. I've obtained internal documents that will shock you. And he posted these. Well, after that, not even a week, all of a sudden, um, Disney removes critical race theory training from company portal. Disney quietly removed anti-racism training reference from its website. This is happening here and there. I'm seeing it more commonly done. Now, do I have any reason to believe Disney is not woke? I think they still are. I think they probably are just trying to remove the controversy over this. Uh, is Disney still going to pursue the same thing without using those terms or do it differently or make it go underground? Probably. But the point is, it's a bad PR for them right now to be associated with critical race theory. And that's the same for Southern Baptists. It's the same for crew. It's the same for ministries, uh, parachurch ministries. They're, they're finding the same thing out, that they've been doing these anti-racist things. But now that it's critical race theory is, is seen as a bad thing by many of the people that are in their organizations, they have to either make it go underground. They have to make it go away. They have to rush to make out like they're conservative or they're against critical race theory somehow. And I wanted to give you one example of this because I've seen no, a number of this, these kinds of things, but this is just, this is kind of a clear one in my mind. Here's Malcolm Yarnell as a professor at a Southern Baptist uh, school, a theology professor, I believe. Um, and, and he posted this. Now, if you're in Southern Baptist life, if you're, you know, you, you would probably know who Mar Malcolm uh, or M Malcolm, I think is that's probably how you say it, Yarnell is. But he, he says this, he said this recently, if you have to twist the critical texture, textual witness, uh, the original historic context and the once indisputed meaning of the biblical text in order to uphold your culturally shaped vision of power relations, then you should wonder whether you really trust God's word is sufficient. So he's saying, look, if you're into the standpoint epistemology stuff, you're, you're twisting the way that you're reading the Bible and understanding it because of culturally shaped uh, a vision of power relations. I mean, this is CRT stuff, guys, he's talking about. is critical race stuff. Then you should wonder whether you really trust God's word is sufficient. That sounds really hard-hitting. It sounds really great, doesn't it? I mean, this is good stuff. If, if someone like a Mike Stone had said this, you'd, we, you know, you'd be re retweeting it if you're on Twitter. You'd be like, this is the guy you know, we want for president. Uh, if Randy Adams had said this, you'd, you'd, you'd probably say this is great. This is a conservative running. If anyone of the, on the conservative side in SBC politics did this, you would be you wouldn't think anything of it. You say this is a conservative viewpoint. But if you know who Ma Malcolm Yarnell is, you'd also know he said this kind of stuff. And this is where you this this is the game, in my opinion, it's a game that I keep seeing being played. Here's just a, a sample of some of the things um, that he's put out there. Uh, here's one. Here here is an example of what I meant in SBC 2019 when I advocated that while we strive to hear the female voice. While all the male disciples were arguing about their roles of power and prestige, this lone female disciple perceived what Jesus really needed. What Mary did was beautiful. He's talking about the female voice in Scripture. We we should just we, we should strive to hear that female voice when we're when we're reading Scripture. Because you know, the male disciples, they're missing something. They're just, you know, concerned about power. It's the female perspective that, that um, this lone female disciple perceived what Jesus really needed. Maybe they know what Jesus really needed. We need to listen to them. And of course, we need to listen to truth, whether it comes from a male or a female. We want to know the truth, but a female perspective, um, because they're somehow, I guess, not affected by wanting power and, and influence. That's, that's I guess, 
that, that I don't know if you knew this, but I guess it characterizes females not to be about the roles of power as much and prestige. There's something more pure about it somewhere along the line. So they can see things that males, I guess, can't see as well. I mean, this is what you're, this is Malcolm Yarnell saying this. I mean, at the very least, extremely confusing if he didn't, if he's not talking about some form of standpoint theory. Here's another one. Spirit Wind is a new set of essays collected by Peter Tai, um, an SWBTS PhD and student of James Leo, uh, Garrett Jr., uh, David S. Dockery, and me. These essays, written from a, ready, global theological perspective, help show the way in reclaiming a theology of work of God, the Holy Spirit. Again, it sounds a lot like the kind of uh, things that you hear coming from standpoint theorists. It says, uh, Spirit Wind, the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit in Global Theology, a Chinese Perspective. How about a, pers a perspective of someone who lives in China or just, a, I don't know, we, you're, it, it's, it's the ethnic thing. There's an ethnic perspective on this uh, or of some kind, or maybe it's a cultural perspective, but the, you hear this a lot. Matt Hall's talked about it. Walter Strickland's talked about it. We need a global perspective. Because you know what? We're just not going to get the truth if we just listen to these Western white guys. They just don't have it all. Instead of trying to um, focus on objective reality, I mean, again, this is Malcolm Yarnell. He's kind of, kind of looks kind of white. I, I just, I mean, is this, does he value the woman's perspective and the global perspective? Is, is that a result of his whiteness that he values these things? I mean, it, it's self-refuting to go down this path. The goal should be to find the truth, objective reality. And that we can all do this and we can do it together, sure. And there may be things other people see that we didn't observe and they can help us and they can sharpen us, but it's the man of God who's equipped for every good work, right? Uh, it's, it's, in, it's, it's the Bereans who are commended by Paul, searching the scriptures. Uh, it's the approved workman who's not ashamed. Um, these are the kinds of things that we should be striving for. It's character, it's work. Uh, in the text, not, well, you know, you're just equipped with this innate global perspective or this innate uh, Chinese perspective or the female voice. Uh, Malcolm Yarnell on Resolution 9, uh, he said, uh, someone asked him, what do you think of the work of the Resolutions Committee for the 2019 Southern Baptist Convention? He said, it displayed the wisdom of Solomon. <laughs> the wisdom of Solomon this year in addressing some of the most difficult issues facing our churches and society. Thank God for your good spiritual work. And then Doc, uh, Keith Whitfield from Southeastern, he's the provost at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, said, thank you, Dr. Yarnell, because he was on the committee. This is the committee that gave Resolution 9, where they said critical race theory can be used as an analytical tool. Here's Malcolm Yar Yarnell saying they had the wisdom of Solomon in that. Um, he also said, if pagan books said things which are indeed true and are well accommodated to our faith, they should not be feared. Rather, what they have said should be taken from them as from unjust possessors and converted to our use. This is Augustine on taking, um, like Israel did from the pagan Egypt, uh, Egyptian peoples. Now, here's the thing. This is, the context of this is Resolution 9. He's defending Resolution 9. Uh, the use of critical race theory and intersectionality as an analytical tool because, well, this is just like, you know, what Augustine said. It's just like uh, taking um, the uh, possessions or taking good ideas from the Egyptians like Israel did. They, they, well, they took their possessions. So that's what we're doing. And ignoring the fact that these, these analytical tools are attached to the basic assumptions that they must grow out of. Uh, I mean, if you don't believe that race is, uh, racism is normative, uh, in that their power dynamics, um, are really the fundamental things that society, that, um, uh, 
uh, organizes and structures society, if you don't believe uh, that we should look at things from these minority perspectives, uh, then you don't have those analytical tools. Those analytical tools, you, you, you need at least some measure of standpoint theory and some measure of the Marxist kind of class conflict transferred to the cultural Marxism and now critical theory, um, ethnic conflict, etc., cultural conflict, racial conflict. You, you need those things to make it work. Those assumptions have to be there or else you don't have the analytical tool. So it's different than taking, let's say, from Pythagoras, you know, his Pythagorean theorem or something where he's looking at laws of, of um, mathematical laws that are fundamental to reality. They don't just exist in the mind of a sociologist. They're fundamental to reality. And uh, they are just, they're well justified on Christian grounds. You don't need pagan assumptions to even have the tools. And so that's that's the issue. But Malcolm Yarnell thought, no, wisdom of Solomon there. So um, this is this is uh, Malcolm Yarnell and what he thinks about some of these things publicly available on his Twitter. Yet he's also, now he's saying, he, he sounds like he's almost contradicting himself that, um, you know, uh, if you have to twist the critical textual witness, the original historic context and the once indisputed meaning of the biblical text in order to uphold your culturally shaped vision of power relations, then you should wonder whether you really trust God's word is sufficient. Now, here's the thing. He may think that everything that I just went through is totally consistent because in listening to that, you know, female perspective or that global perspective uh, and in sort of that soft standpoint epistemology, um, justifying intersectionality and, and critical race theory as analytical tools, he may think that all that stuff does not twist the critical textual witness, right? But here's the thing. <laughs> if it doesn't twist the, Christ, uh, the critical textual witness, then why is he warning about people who would uphold their culturally shaped visions of power relations? Um, why, why even put this post out there if it's not a threat? Clearly now he's saying it's a threat. And before he didn't say that. You, you can't find it. It's, it's all, it's, it's mostly positive. So I just want to warn you at, at the very least, if Malcolm Yarnell uh, is, um, uh, it, <laughs> I don't even know quite how to even approach this. I don't, I'm not saying he's stupid or dumb. I'm not saying that. Maybe very ignorant. I'm not sure. I don't know him personally. This is a guy teaching uh, at a Southern Baptist school. He's teaching theology. If he's someone who can't see the tension between what he has promoted and now what he is uh, speaking out against, is this the kind of person you want to get advice from in, or even teach um, at that level? Uh, that, it, it just, <laughs> there, there should be a very clear sound coming from people in the Southern Baptist Convention. It, it's like if Mormonism or some other uh, cult surrounded you and their thinking was everywhere and uh, you know, someone were to come out and say all the positive things uh, that can come from Mormonism. And, and then on the flip side, say something like, we need to reject Mormonism. Or um, if that's affecting the way you read the Bible, your reading of the Book of Mormon, then you need to check yourself or something. We would rightly look at that and say, what are you doing? Like have a clear, distinct sound here. Um, we, either Mormonism is not good or more, Mormonism is good. This is, a, this is a, a worldview, it's a religion, it's a philosophical system. And it's, you can't just like take parts of it and say, well, we would just really like this part of it. We really, those family, family values from Mormonism, we're just going to take those things. 
Um, it's actually probably easier to do that in Mormonism than it is, even is in CRT though, uh, because some of the things Mormons may have, uh, you could, you know, basic anti, let's say an anti, um, uh, anti-sexual uh, abuse program or something. There may be even some principles in that that may be useful in some way, not because of the Mormonism. But with CRT, it's different. It's it literally you have to assume those fundamental assumptions. But um, but in Mormonism, I think we'd have that problem. We'd, we'd want to push someone like that to be very clear. Why don't you speak out in no uncertain terms about Mormonism, warn about it, and stop winking and nodding at it. But that's what we're getting. We're getting people who are kind of doing this fence-sitting thing. Hard to nail jello to a wall, hard to figure out what they even believe, yet we're supposed to trust them. We're supposed to make them the professors. We're supposed to look at them as if they have such wisdom. And that's that's where I see the SBC right now. I see... Um, a lot of corruption at the high levels and a lot of games being played, a lot of political games, a lot of jostling, a lot of positioning, a lot of doing this. Where's the wind blowing? What can I say today? And we don't want any of that. We need, if you're in the SBC, you want someone at the helm and in every entity at the helm who is clear in what they say, uh, who is um, has conviction. You don't have to question what they mean, it's just, it's all laid out there. And someone who's going to fight corruption is for transparency. And uh, and so that's what I encourage people to be looking for as they go to the Southern Baptist Convention. So uh, don't forget, uh, check out, if you're a pastor, maybe you might want to check out the IFCA. Maybe it's something that you would want to be interested in uh, and associate with. And um, and hopefully I'll be able to upload a few more videos this week. But please pray for, for my family. We are, um, it is a hard thing when it's someone that um, is a family friend and has been for a long time uh, uh, going through uh, what they're going through. So um, I'll probably talk more about it later this week. But uh, I hope that was helpful for some of you. Uh, God bless and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Bye now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.